Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, how soon will Canada start receiving vaccines? From a procurement standpoint, we are working with the Q1 of 2021 timeframe and certainly deliveries will occur within that time. We also need to make sure that we have the provinces ready to receive the vaccines. Erin O'Toole avoids questions on a Conservative MP's petition questioning the safety of vaccines. He needs to be mindful about where some of the people that supported him and where some of his party's base and where some of his caucuses that he needs to be careful in being too vocally critical, I would say. And Canada Post is confident it could handle millions of mail-in ballots in the event of a pandemic election. I don't have any concerns about uh, about the volume of mail. We're talking about 5 million uh, you know, mail-in ballots, potentially. That's what's been estimated by Elections Canada. It's Friday, December the 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. We're hearing more and more news every day about the procurement of a vaccine and how soon it might be administered to some Canadians. Let's get up to date on the latest on that and also how Canadians are perceiving the vaccine and how it has become a bit of a political topic as well with the opposition this week accusing the government of mishandling the issue. Yeah, so what we heard yesterday was basically Major General Danny Fertin, the man who's going to be leading the effort to help distribute the vaccine uh, from the federal perspective. Um, he gave a briefing along with Dr. New, the Deputy Chief Medical Health Officer, um, and uh, one of the leads uh, people at Health Canada about kind of how all this is going to happen. And, you know, last week the Liberal government had promised that every week there would be a briefing about how this was going to happen, and so... Uh, they're making good on that promise. And what we learn is basically that the vaccine, uh, Pfizer, probably more likely, possibly Moderna, they're the two that have um, that have provided Health Canada with more information, but the department says it's still waiting for some information from the companies. There's a slight possibility, or there is a possibility, that the vaccine could be approved as early as next week. Um, the Major General says that regardless of what Health Canada's approval timeline ends up being, they want to be logistically ready. So they're actually going to be doing dry runs to like prepare for how the delivery would happen. Um, and they're going to start doing this. They want to basically have all their ducks lined up before Christmas. But again, the timeline is the same timeline we were talking about last week, which is uh, the earliest the government believes um, that the vaccines will be in the country is January. And again, we have the same information that we had last week, that there will be about 6 million doses in the first quarter. That means 3 million people will be able to be um, vaccinated. The precise list of um, who gets the vaccine, um, that doesn't seem to have been agreed upon. The priorities have been identified, and there are similar priorities that are found in the provinces, but we haven't received a, a formal list of, you know, uh, doctors go first, people who live in long-term care homes go second, people who are over 80 go third. Um, we also saw a bit of fighting, not just in the House of Commons, but actually with the between the premiers and the federal government. Brian Pallister in Manitoba said he really does not like Ottawa's approach to deliver the vaccine. Again, this hasn't been formally decided, but it's 
seems like the decision will be on a per capita basis. And he came out and he said he's quite upset because Ottawa is actually going to be um, taking part of his, I guess you could call it quota, and uh, saving it so that Ottawa can vaccinate uh, Indigenous people in Manitoba because the population of Indigenous people there is so large. He says that uh, that penalizes basically non-Indigenous Manitobans. So there's uh, a squabbling definitely started between uh, the Premiers and Ottawa. We saw Doug Ford again this week take a much um, more confrontational tone with Ottawa saying that he needed to have more details on what was released. But so far, basically, that is what we know. There's going to be 132 million doses of those two vaccines. 14 locations have been identified in the country that are going to um, basically uh, house these vaccines, one in each province. Uh, There's two in uh, B.C., Ontario, and Quebec. And the government says it actually plans to have 205 locations across the country. Hmm. Now, all that is happening in the background, of course, of politics in the House of Commons. The Conservatives on Thursday introduced an opposition motion that basically calls on Ottawa to table a very concrete plan by in about two weeks, saying exactly what the rollout is going to be, like where the vaccines are going to be housed, how everything's going to happen, um, what type of vaccine will be deployed, the rates of vaccination anticipated by uh, month. Uh, so a, a very detailed plan by December 16th. Um, All right. The government argues it shouldn't do that, but uh, that we should leave the decision to the scientists. So we'll see where, uh, I think, where the NDP, the Bloc, and, uh, and the Greens decide to, uh, yeah. to park their vote on that issue. All right. Speaking of vaccines, let's talk about uh, Derek Sloan's uh, petition uh, around uh, what he describes as human experimentation with the vaccines, um, which is another, uh, I guess, another issue raised by Derek Sloan that O'Toole has had to answer questions about. He largely sidestepped the questions yesterday about this, mm-hmm. and and it's another example of of o- O'Toole having to manage the different elements of caucus. So let's talk about that for a moment. This is actually a petition that's sponsored by Derek Sloan, but it's not a decision from Derek Sloan. And he has been coy about, you know, does he believe everything the petition says? But basically, as you described, it it says that vaccines are being rushed, they're bypassing proper safety protocols, and that the COVID-19 vaccination campaign basically is what they call, I'm quoting here, effectively human experimentation, end of quote. Um, so there is a certain um, anti-vaccination um, current, uh, I would say, with Derek Sloan and his supporters. And Derek Sloan was the candidate, the leadership candidate of choice from a group called Campaign Life Coalition, which is a group of social conservatives. They say they signed up 20,000 members of that voted in the last conservative leadership campaign. So these people helped elect um, Aaron O'Toole by giving their down-ballot support to him. And they're actually, um, you know, for some people who are wondering why Derek Sloan was still in the conservative caucus, this group was actually um, angry that Mr. Sloan was not given a critic portfolio in the shadow cabinet. So just that, I think, helps explain a little bit some of the dynamics at play, that Mr. O'Toole um, does owe a fair bit of... Uh, of a political uh, goodwill, if you will, to the social conservative cause and the, uh, both 
those people who are part of the party, who are an important part of the party, frankly. And the conservative party, about two-thirds are describe themselves as social conservatives. That doesn't mean, of course, that that is their number one issue, but uh, that is where they they personally identify themselves with. So there is a, a strong current. Mr. Tool might, you know, say he's pro-choice and pro-LGBTQ and wants to introduce legislation to safeguard the rights of everybody. But there is a, a part of his caucus, an important part of, of his caucus, that is pulling him in another direction. And the fact that um, Mr. O'Toole was uh, kind of, I would say, walking on eggshells on the Derek Sloan petition. You know, he needs to be mindful about where some of the people that supported him and where some of his party's base and where some of his caucuses, um, that he needs to be careful in uh, cr- being too vocally critical, I would say. And another issue that we saw this week is on Bill C-7, which is the expansion of medical assistance and dying bill. And just to remind the listeners, this is uh, the law that was struck down by a Quebec judge basically for saying that um, it wasn't expansive enough and that people who are not um, facing an imminent death should still have the possibility of accessing medical assistance and dying. Right. And so the Liberals have tabled legislation that responds to, to the court, and the court imposed deadline is December 18th. But um, many social conservatives uh, MPs have been vocally critical about this bill at the Justice Committee, and they're now basically um, kind of filibustering in the House of Commons. The issues that they raise, uh, they say they feel are very important. They believe that um, Canadians who have disabilities will feel pressure, uh, possibly to end their lives. Uh, They believe the bill is too expansive, that the balance hasn't been struck properly. Um, And Mr. O'Toole has spoken to that. Um, and now he has come out this week and said that he doesn't believe that the House of Commons needs to abide, the Parliament needs to abide by that December 18th right. um, deadline, which would create um, a void in Quebec and would mean that Quebecers have access uh, to medical assistance in dying in ways that um, Canadians outside of Quebec do not. All right, just as we wrap up, Althea, very quickly, uh, Canada Post said yesterday that it can handle millions of mail-in ballots if there is an election during the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. which is obviously a, an issue in its own right. But in the context of the American election that just happened, it's also um, it's also sort of a hot button kind of topic. So uh, can Canadians be confident uh, in an election that has a lot of mail-in ballots if that happens in 2021? Well, Canada Post says yes. Um, it says it doesn't matter if 5 million people vote by mail, even though about 55,000 voted by mail last time. Um, they were asked, what if there's 10 million people who vote by mail? And Canada Post said, yep, no problem. They process 8 billion pieces of mail a year, and they're actually doing um, kind of like practice runs to see in case there's like an infection in one uh, processing center, how they would handle the mail-in ballots uh, in, in, in other processing centers. So they're contingency planning. In some ways, I would say, just to end on this mark, that, you know, Canada Post, Elections Canada, it's like these agencies are finally getting to their moment in the sun to say, hey, look how much better we are than the United States and how non-political things are in Canada and how that means that there won't be any problems when it comes to the elections. Um, so there seems to be a bit of, a bit of gloating uh, from the Canadian agencies' parts on this issue. 
All right. Great stuff, Althea. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Have a wonderful weekend. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At iPolitics, Michael Corrin argues questions need to be asked of Derek Sloan, Aaron O'Toole, and the conservative movement. Corrin writes, Derek Sloan is a star among the hardline conservative right, and Aaron O'Toole must be in political agony. He has promised a more inclusive party, free of ultra-conservatism and conspiracy theories, but he knows that a significant minority of the grassroots membership supports this sort of thing. Does Canada move forward with forward-looking parties, or does it sink into a political atmosphere where Trumpian extremism has far too much sway? In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues against scapegoating South Asian Canadians for high COVID-19 numbers. Mason writes, Jason Kenney stirred controversy last week when he delivered what he called a wake-up call to South Asians in his province linking high case numbers to family gatherings and social functions in their homes. The same premier who effectively gave a pass to hundreds of anti-mask protesters in Calgary has now deemed gatherings in the homes of South Asians to be the real problem. Scapegoating specific people for our virus numbers won't do any Canadians any good at all. At Policy Options, Sergio Marchi argues we shouldn't settle for lackluster leadership at global institutions. Markey writes, When our battle with COVID-19 is finally over, a comprehensive review of how the world dealt with the pandemic is a must. It is imperative that we learn from our experiences. Among the lessons that await us, one should be on how we select our heads of multilateral agencies. At a time when countries are so deeply interconnected, and when forces in one corner of the world impact nations everywhere, choosing wisely has never been more critical. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak during the Global Partnership on Artificial Intelligence Montreal Summit, followed by a news conference to provide an update on the COVID-19 situation. Associate Finance Minister Mona Fortier will take part in a virtual event hosted by the Toronto Region Board of Trade. And Minister of Small Business Mary Ng will take part in a discussion with Canadian entrepreneurs and industry leaders. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, December the 4th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.